Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we're going to talk about the new Ang Lee film shot in 120 frames per second 3D. Also, some news about John Woo's Manhunt wrapping up its film shoot in Japan. Uh, some Toy Story news out of Shanghai Disneyland. And we talk about this week's film, Andy Lau in Mission Milano for East Screen. And over in the Marvel Universe with Doctor Strange for West Screen. East Screen, West Screen. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting in sunny South Florida and sitting at his reviews desk inside a mystical display case at the Hong Kong Sanctum is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Um, hey, uh, any any news lately? Yeah, welcome to the Upside Down. <laughs> <laughs> the world has gone topsy-turvy and uh i don't want to get too far into this because we are not i mean we've talked about films being you know political works of art and all that before and this is not a political podcast but my goodness it is a what are we out two days after the u.s election and uh the world has kind of flipped on its head at least from my perspective here but also watching the political news in hong kong which i still keep up with Things are not much better there. You've had, uh, you know, what, what with uh, the recent elections being overturned now by Beijing, it's just like, what is going on in the world today? I mean, it's first Brexit, and it's like the dominoes are falling, right? It's just a, it's just a huge, huge mess. And if I may say, S-H-I-T show, um, <laughs> lack of a better word. Um, you were just before we started recording, we were like, "Hey, let's let's." Northern Europe sounds like a pretty good place to go at the moment, right? Yeah. Are you listening out there, Mr. Browerson of the uh, podcast on Fire <laughs> Network? Uh, we may be your neighbors yeah. very soon. <laughs> no, actually, Hawaii would be the farthest away from Washington D.C. And then actually, it is a blue state, and yes, yes it uh, is. Might be pretty good there. There it is. That's our political ranting for today. This episode, I guess. Let's uh, get into what we normally do here which is talk about movies we've got an Andy Lau film to talk about this week and of course Marvel's latest entry into their cinematic universe with Doctor Strange which also sort of kicks off the holiday sort of movie going experience here in the United States um, start of November and so now we've got a series of big Hollywood films coming uh, through to the holidays and that's always an exciting time for me, and it can get my head thinking about movies and less about politics and all this other stuff that's going on. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm not sure if you have that same kind of sensibility, because I know some of the films that we're getting here you might not even get until Chinese New Year, right, Kevin? Well, Doctor Strange is certainly an apt title for what's going on these days. Um, but no, we, we're getting... We get... Um, in Hong Kong, we get a share of holiday films. You know, we have The Great Wall, Matt Damon, that's Christmas. We have Rogue One. Um, we also got, what do we have this weekend? We have the new Ang Lee film this weekend. Are you getting the Harry um, Potter film this week? or We're getting the Harry Potter film on the 21st, hmm. I think, so in about two weeks. Are they pushing, uh, are they pushing the Disney film to Chinese New no, Year? No, next week. Oh, wait, no, we're getting the new We're getting the new Harry Potter next week. The 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 Disney film I think it's oh it always gets pushed to Chinese New Year which yeah. is not not uh, not unusual but you know there's also the Chinese stuff um, not sure what we're getting from China but we still we have passengers that's Christmas as well um, so yeah I mean we got Doctor Strange two weeks early so I feel a bit behind Paul I feel like I don't I don't remember much of the film anymore <laughs> no I'm kidding um, yeah so so. Plus, year end is kind of Oscar time, and next weekend I'm going to um, to Taipei. I'll get into more about that, and I'll start. And I already watched a few of the award award uh, films uh, when I was in Busan, so I'm I'm ready for this. Right. This is gonna be great. Very good, very yeah. good. 
Well, before we get into our new, our reviews proper, let's uh, talk a little bit about this week's news. So I'll throw the ball back over to Kevin at his news desk. Here at the news desk, um, I teased this just just now um, a little bit, but um, the new Ang Lee film coming. That's Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. Um, Paul, you, you've heard a lot about this film, or have you heard much about this? You know, I've seen the posters for it, and the poster has a pretty strong cast of names attached to it. Um, I've also heard a couple earlier reviews that were kind of in the middle ground, not too great, not too terrible. Yeah, how, how is the promotion of the film over there in the States? I haven't, I haven't seen any trailers uh, out in the cinema, but they do have quite a few posters up for it. Um, that's the extent of what I've seen so far. So, Okay, cool. Um, well, the, the push for this, or the big selling points of the film, um, is one, of course, Ang Lee, uh, especially in this region. Uh, Ang Lee is um, the pride of the greater China region. He is sort of the uh, the great hope. Um and, and his new film, obviously, will always, always get attention here in this region. So um, that's one big thing that's going for. And the second thing is he shot the film in this very advanced sort of ultra high frame rate. Um, to explain, um, usually films are shot in 24 frames per second. Um, for so, so back in the days when we had film, it would be made of 24 frames. And digital also has sort of try to recreate that look by doing with 24 images per second. Um, now, when The Hobbit was made, Peter Jackson took a huge risk and did 48 frames per second, which gave you that sort of denser, um, more realistic look, more, you know, the smoother sort of action. Or as um, some people said, it looked like a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I watched all three Hobbit films in 48 frames and it didn't change my mind about it at all. But what Ang Lee has done here is he shot this in 4K. Um, so most films are shot in 2K resolution. I mean, more films are being shot in 4K resolution now, but um, all pretty much most projectors in, in major cinemas are all showing films in 2K. Anyway, uh, so Ang Lee not only shot this film in 4K, in 3D, and also in 120 frames per second, which is an amazing amount of detail you'll be able to see. He's trying to push for this, you know, bright image. It's a brighter image. It's a more realistic image. And it will be 3D sort of the way it's meant to be seen. And this ultra-realistic look. Um, but if you want to see this film in 120 frames per second, you better be living na- near these five theaters in the world. So one is in New York City. One is in Los Angeles. Uh, I think the Arclight, as far as I know. Um, one is in Taipei near the it's a V Show Cinema in uh, Taipei uh, near Taipei Station. Um, there's the Bonath Cinema in Beijing, and one more cinema in Shanghai. That's it. Five theaters in the world showing this film in in the original format, it's supposed to be seen, because apparently Sony did not want to um, um, pay. Essentially, they didn't want to you know throw up money to 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 install these new projectors because these take brand new projectors these 4k no there is no projector in the world that can play play this um so they had to install brand new projectors and apparently it's so expensive that some cinemas at least a few of the five cinemas are just renting them they're not even like keeping them when they're done um it's a huge deal so um what does it offer? I don't know. It's 120 frames per second, which means that it's supposed to be even if you, you think soap operas are like are, are, are smooth and clear and lifelike. This is apparently going to show you every pore on like the actor's face. He didn't even allow the actors to put on makeup because any kind of makeup it would, would come off as too obvious in the, in the format. So the actors aren't even allowed to wear makeup on their faces. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to to see the results. I'm actually flying to Taipei next weekend just to go watch the film in in that format. Um, and, and of course, the Golden Horse Festival is also happening, so I'll be watching films there as well. But my main goal is to see how this 120 frames per second thing uh, pan out. Um, it's really weird because the studio, Sony, behind it, they're, they're not... I just checked their official website before coming on here, and you think that they would be sort of trying to sort of push um, 
you know the best technology possible to present the film, but there is no section on that website telling people what kind of format they can see the film in. I mean, in Hong Kong, we have a number of cinemas that will be showing the film in 60 frames, um, uh, 3D in 2K, which is not too bad already. I mean, remember Hobbit was in 48 frames, and we got we did get a couple of cinemas that showed the film in 48 frames. Um, so the fact that we're getting about I think eight to ten cinemas showing it in in that format. It's a pretty good jump. I think it's a it's a very pretty good for a little city in Asia. But um, it's weird that 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 the Ameri- the official website uh, in America does not have anything that sort of tries to push or promote at least try to get people to see the film in, in this new format. Yeah, um, it's, Paul. It's, I, yeah, it, Paul. Have you looked? Have you looked at any any information? Are, are you planning to? to try and get get to this film in like the 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 new format no that's not happening i I saw the first hobbit film in the you know as they were selling at the hfr high frame rate format and i was not too impressed with it didn't care for it and i just don't see the need for doing this especially if you don't have theaters on board right and i guess this gets more to the point of the whole 4k push right we were having a, a kind of a short discussion with uh, David Harris a couple weeks ago on Facebook or about the there was a one of the Bruce Lee films has been re-released on Blu-ray after being recorded and cut from the 4K remaster, right? Yeah. Um, so Blu-ray cannot show 4K, right? So basically what you're doing is you're taking the high quality and you're downgrading it it's like taking a dvd and downgrading it to vhs right and so here i mean they're going to the expense of making this film using the new technology but at the end of the day you know most people are not going to be able to see it on that they're going to see it on a dvd downscaled right or they're going to see it on a blu-ray that's downscaled to some extent and i guess you know i i understand that like going back to what was uh uh, the James Cameron Avatar, right? Yeah, there's a need to create and to play with the technology, but it's at a certain point, I don't know, it just makes me scratch my head and go, well, nobody's really going to get to see it in that format, and nobody has the equipment at home to really take advantage of that format. So what is it they're really doing? Is it more of a case of just saying, hey, look what we did as a kind of hype factor? Well, the whole point is to find new ways to bring people into the theater to back because they know they're losing people to the cinemas. They're losing viewers. Um, yeah, but how, losing, how are you going to bring, it, bring home, people home to the theater if it's only in five theaters? <laughs> that's not working. Well, that is really <laughs> the weird. That's what I'm saying, right? It's just really odd. I mean, like I said, in Hong Kong, they're showing the 60 frames version in, in seven, eight, I think 10 theaters, which is already pretty good. Like I said, it's pretty good. And the distributor is trying to push people to go see this ultra high def version, and they're and the cinemas are are, are setting it as a separate sort of setting as an attraction of, of of sorts, right? That's why it's really odd that the cinemas in America, as far as I'm looking looking at this, they're not there's nothing to tell people. Look, it's not 120 frames, but at least you can see an ultra high def. It is a new experience, and it's shot in this brand new experience, and. Even Ang Lee doesn't know what the film looked like until he saw it in the theater because no, none of the equipment he had, you know, enabled him to see 120 frames. He saw it in 60 frames also, actually, same as uh, what you're going to see in Hong Kong. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to attract people to go to theaters, to go to, to f- give them reason to go to theaters to, to see this brand new experience, that's what Avatar did. Um, th- they really should be promoting it properly, which sort of, makes me wonder what a studio what the studio is thinking what are they what is their strategy um the local distributor has it right they, they know what they're doing they they know that there's a, a a thing to push um yeah so i don't know what what they're doing but i i, I think that no matter what happens i don't i don't like i didn't like the hobbit in, in, in high definition um and I am a bit miffed that this film is only being released in 3D in Hong Kong. It's only 3D um, because I think people should have a choice. Um, but I do 
kind of appreciate the fact that you know theaters are trying to find new gimmicks to pull people in the theater because I am a purist who believes that the the theater the, the cinema experience should be preserved, um, and I and I hope that people will find new reasons to go to the cinema. I will go to cinema to watch any film, all right, no matter what technology he uses even if it's shot on a freaking iphone right i would go see a film in the theater just just for the experience you, you can't concentrate on the film the way you do in a cinema uh at a home in home that's a fact i know this 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 i watch a lot of movies at home i know this i don't concentrate the same way i can um so so i truly believe that there should be ways to bring people back in the cinema and i hope that this this will bring people back in the cinema I, it's just a shame that they aren't promoting or they are trying harder yeah i think if you really want to get people back in the cinema you need to teach a cinema etiquette course <laughs> because <laughs> the thing that turns me off more than anything now even back in the u.s i mean i <laughs> i kind of came to accept it in certain cinemas in hong kong but it's just the people are so rude it's unbelievable i mean Despite all the warnings up at the front, people still got their cell phones out, talking during the movie, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it just sometimes makes me question, well, what were we watching? We were watching, a, uh, I went to watch Trolls, right? Took took um, our daughter. And, you know, it's a kid's movie. Kids are expected to talk and, and you know, react and these kinds of things. But... I'm not expecting to hear conversations from adults, right? While, you know, talking about uh, stuff while the movie's going on. It's like, seriously, I mean, it, it seems like people have forgotten how to go to the film. Well, you know, that that's just everywhere. Hong Kong, America, China. My best times in America, actually, the best time I had in movies uh, this year was actually in America. You know why? Because I watched movies. <laughs> on weekdays and I most of the time actually only had a theater to myself or with only about 500 people yeah. best time I had in the movies this year seriously best time <laughs> I hear that alright speaking of movies and uh, Asian filmmakers John Woo uh, has finally finished his film is that right that's right John Woo um, after coming off the sort of shockingly disappointing uh, epic that was um, uh, the crossing uh, steps back into the action genre or supposedly the action genre I actually don't know yet but uh, Manhunt is the latest film um, I got it's not officially announced but I follow some people on on you know WeChat and and then and, 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 and my news feed on Weibo and all that stuff um, the Japanese shoot I think the whole film is being shot in Japan or was shot in Japan and anyway, the shoot is done it's wrapped John was finally finished shooting his new film, um, and I think it's going to post production now. Uh, the film, uh, I think we me we mentioned it here before, it stars Zhang Han Yu as a remake of a Japanese film, uh, the same name I think. Uh, that one starred Ken Takakura Ken or Ken Takakura as a prosecutor, as a cop who is uh, blamed for murder, and he must sort of clear his he must clear his name. Um, Zhang Han is a sim similar story, but this time Zhang Han Yu, I think, a Chinese cop in Japan. Uh, probably a similar plot, you know, about him getting framed for murder and had to clear his name and all that stuff. Um, big stars in the film. Um, so Zhang Han Yu, we have uh, Fukuyama Masaharu, who is a, a big, huge pop star. Uh, you might have seen him in Galileo as a, as a, as a genius crime-solving physicist. Um, and uh, I think there's might be a Korean star. I think it's Ha Ji Won. I think he's also in. She's also in there. I forgot if, if it's confirmed. But um, big budget, uh, big budget shoot, forty million U.S. dollars. Shot completely in Japan around the Osaka area. Um, I think he shot for about three four months. Um, his working with Hong Kong filmmakers again. I think uh, Cheng Hing Gai uh, is a producer or co-writer on the film, and he, he's he's been on set the entire time. Um, or is it James Yuan? I think it's James Yuan. Anyway, Hong Kong filmmakers on set for John Woo film shot completely in Japan. I'm really excited about this. Um, just because it's John Woo back in sort of contemporary film. It's for China, but whatever. It's a Chinese-Japanese co-production. It's probably going to be Mandarin and Japanese, no Cantonese. It's fine. He's working with Hong Kong filmmakers again. And he, he's doing action film, a contemporary action film. How long has it been since we've seen a John Woo contemporary action film, Paul? Too long. Much too long. Too damn long. That's yes. right. So yeah. I'm very excited about this one. Bring it and bring it now. 
bring it. Um, don't know when it's coming out. Apple Daily said that it's coming out Lunar New Year. That's impossible. That's in two months. A drama movie that's not complete post-production in two months. So um, it'll be either summer or next September or next Christmas or if the world hates us. Chinese May- New Year of 2018, right? <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, if, if God hates us and he has shown his hate, his his wrath, and his his vengeful spirit quite a bit on this week. So um, it might we might have to wait until Lunar New Year, twenty eighteen. All right. Well, we'll keep you appraised as uh, we get more information on the release date of John Woo's Manhunt. Back now to turn our attention to China and a, a U.S. property of Toy Story. Uh, you've got a bit of news for us about Shanghai Disneyland. That's right. Um, I, well, Paul, I, I think I'll need probably need your help a bit on this since I think you know Disneyland better than, than I do. But, um, uh, so as you remember, Shanghai Disneyland opened uh, its doors in June, um, and of course, there's news about um, expansion already. Um, they just announced that there will be a Toy Story Land, um, in the new park. Um, it's um beans. It's a seventh park, or it's a seventh area in the new park and it's going to open in 2018 um it is the part the first official expansion of the existing park um although i don't they don't they haven't disclosed what will be at this toy story land as far as out there there is a toy story land here in hong kong right paul yeah hong kong disney has one and i couldn't tell you because i haven't been um to the orlando park here in ages i think they have one uh, California might also have one given the popularity of the property, but yeah, Hong Kong definitely has one. And I think some of the, the, the picture that they're showing, um, it looks like if that's not from Hong Kong, it looks like they're going to be basically copying a lot of the same rides, um, that are in the Hong Kong park. <clears throat> right. So this is apparently, um, is part of the, the, um, there is some speculation lately about how, the resort hasn't seen the the number of visitors they expected, um, and and I think they're sort of aggressively trying to announce new plans to to expand so that they could they could attract more visitors at least in the future as a long term sort of investment, um, and I guess this is the first step. Um, and that photo you see on the Variety story that actually is the Shanghai because I can tell from the uh, the simplified Chinese it is the actual um, 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 the groundbreaking in 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 China. Um, so how is have you been to the Hong Kong Toy Story Land? Oh yeah, many times. So how um, how is it? I haven't been to Disneyland in it's, ages. It's nice. I mean, they have uh, they what do they have? They have like Sarge's parachute drop, you know, with the army figure character, and it's you know basically just a drop ride. They've got the Slinkies kind of you know roundabout that uh, you know spins you around like those fair rides of old. Um, they have an RC racer that uh, it's like a the race car that goes you know up and down and that's the one ride that uh, i've never gone on because um the of the height requirements so my my daughter was too not big enough to go on those but she could go on all the other ones so it's not it's not a huge area uh, in terms of you know spatially so i don't know it would be interesting to see if they just do an exact copy of what they've got in hong kong or if they're going to go with some all new rides um and if they're really trying to draw people in i would think that that would be the way to go although of course that's going to be more expensive because you know that's uh, a lot more money and time and imagineering development that they've got to put into it but for the people who are probably have the means and the money to go over to the shanghai park i'm sure a good percentage of them might have already gone to the hong kong park so with them using that as an expansion, you know, if, if, if it's me, I'm saying, well, should I go to Hong, Shanghai, Hong Kong, or, or should I go to Shanghai Disney because they're adding this new thing that I've already seen, you know, years back in Hong Kong Disney? It's not a big attraction. But for those who may not be able to get to Hong Kong but can get to uh, Disney, you know, there's a percentage there that I think that'll they'll try and draw in. Is that enough to hit their target number? hard to say yeah i i i would think that chi- the the people who run the shanghai park would want to think of something that the hong kong park doesn't have to attract uh new visitors visitors to the park i mean they do have they are supposed to be bigger they have more room 
um, they have more space to expand sort of new attractions. But um, so it's a bit of an odd thing. It's almost like um, uh, they forgot to build. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a small world after all or something. Well, it's uh, the know? other thing, too, is that part of their driving uh, mantra has been to distinguish themselves from the Americanized Disney. Right. Right. So that, that's why you have like the Monkey King appearing in the Lion King show and and other Chinese cultural aspects, which I think is fine, which is something that I kind of wish they would have done more of in Hong Kong Disney rather than just making it an out and out carbon copy of uh, the Western parks. But by that token, just putting in a Toy Story Land seems to me a bit you know, to go not in line with that mantra. Why not do something completely new? You know, they're getting ready to release uh, live-action Beauty and the Beast, so they could do something based on that, or the live-action Mulan, which is supposed to be coming at some point in the not-too-distant future. I mean, that seems like prime territory if they want to stick within the realm of Chinese culture as a Disney exhibit that no other park has, and that could be something. But again, you're talking about <clears throat> the, the extra money required to go into development rather than just taking something that already exists and reproducing it. All right, our final bit of news this week. Uh, box office slump? What? What? Yeah, guess what? Um, box office in China has been down this year, um, despite the um, couple of hits. You got Mermaid, that was a huge hit in China. Um, isn't isn't I think it's the number one hit now? Box the number one film box office hit of all time in China. You got that from breaking a new record. You got you know Operation Make Home making a ton of money in China, making one point one billion dollar yuan in China, doing pretty well. Um, but the problem is that it just did not live up to sort of the forecast. It is not rising. Uh, the total box office is kind of in a slump. It's it's actually down year on year um, uh, from the same period. Like for ex- example, last year um, you've had you would have a big one one billion breaking hit. I think on every major season, and this year you're just not seeing that kind of number, even with the Hollywood films. Um, and is there a way out of it? I mean. Um, there's there, there's a lot of fear I think in Hollywood especially because they they realize that huh maybe China is not gonna overtake the market so quickly um, uh, maybe that um, they, they shouldn't be throwing all their eggs in one basket I don't know but they are a bit worried and even China's worried there's rumor that they're secretly opening opening up more for more foreign films to to sort of try and play up to push the box office uh, to attract more people to theaters um, is there a way out I don't know I think I don't think there needs to be a way out um, you still got a couple of big hits coming this year December you have the Great Wall the Zhang Yimou film you have uh, the um, um, which of a card? God, was that guy who plays uh, one the one the the, the, the dumb guy, <laughs> one one Chan. Yeah, one Chan's directorial debut. You've got um, no Feng Xiaogang, but you've got a new um, uh, Zhang Ziyi film. I think that's coming a bit um, earlier. Um, and you know, there's still quite a few big films coming at the end of the year, so there's still plenty of chance to to sort of lift up that box office um and the thing is i don't think that they need to be hitting 20 percent 25 percent um uh rise in box office every year that that trend was never meant to um actually hold on for more than a few years i think um in fact it's time for a bit of a slowdown if they don't slow down then it's just stabilizing it's normal to be slowing down um, so no, I don't. I, I think that people shouldn't freak out, and and I think it is a sort of just a normal stabilizing of the market. If box office starts starts to be going down, then you're in big trouble. But if you're still going up and just not rising at the rate that you like to see it, then well, calm the hell down. That's all I can say. Um, so like I said, there's still a few big films coming up. The Harry Potter, the Fantastic Beasts. You've got a lot of big foreign films. You got the new. Um, um, the new Feng Xiaogang film coming in November 18th. Uh, it's not going to be a huge, huge hit, but it has, it's Feng Xiaogang and it has 
fan bing bing, right? It's going to do great. Um, and yeah, there's still a couple of big films coming. So I, in case any of you are worried, and I don't think any of my, our listeners should be worry about that much. If you're working at a Hollywood studio, then yeah, you have a problem, you have a reason to worry. Otherwise, it, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And um, yeah, let's see what happens for the rest of the year. You know, part of me wonders if there was too much expectation put on, you know, big productions like, um, oh, what was that thing we watched with uh, Tony Lang and Jet Li? Um, uh, Lee of Gods. Yeah, Lee yeah, of, of Gods. I mean, that film flopped. There were quite a, 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 a few sort of, not high profile flops. I mean, films that just did not, just did not perform as well as expected. There were just quite a few films that way. But end of the year is going to be crazy. You have the Wang Bao Chang directorial debut. You have the Zhang Yimou, the Matt Damon, the Great Wall. You have the Zhang Ziyi from The Wasted Times, which is Guan um, with Ge Yo, I think. And you have um, uh, Tony Leung, Chu Wai, Little Tony, and Takeshi Kaneshiro in a new film produced by Wong Kar Wai. It is going to be a crazy, crazy, crazy Christmas. Um, and um, But yeah, there's it, it, certainly been, I think... Um, audiences have been sort of wiser now for example you have um there was uh in october there were four films there were there was um operation mekong the dante land film uh there was um i belong to you which is the um the the film with dun chow the romantic romantic drama with dun chow and bye bye her and a big ensemble cast based on a very popular novel the guy who written by the guy who directed the new Wong Kar Wai produced film, the um, uh, See You Tomorrow, the one Tony Leung and Takeshi Kaneshiro. You have Lord, which is the film, the uh, mocap animation from the director of Tiny Times. Um, and then you have uh, Mission Milano, which we're going to talk about a bit later. Mission Milano, of course, was fourth place. Um, it, it, I Belong to You started off with a huge start, ended up making about $800 million. Um, but Lord, Lord, and I'm not saying, oh, Lord, I mean, Lord, the film, Lord, uh, the, the, the mocap animation film, um, opened big and then it fell really, really quickly because of really bad word of mouth. Um, and that became a flop because I mean, mocap animation, even in China is not cheap to make. And that film only made about 300 million. I think it made less than the, the tiny times film. But it costs about probably three, four times more than the Tiny Times film, right? So you got these big budget extravaganzas that, you know, audiences realize that, hey, maybe, you know, we should kind of step back and, and not. So the only really, the only two huge success of that period was Operation Mekong, which made, like I said, $1.1 billion. And then you have this sort of mid-budget ensemble romantic drama that made huge money with a very moderate budget. You know, you got these two big budget films. You got Mission Milano, which costs a ton of film, a uh, ton of money because of the cast. And you have Lord because of the mocap. These two films uh, flopping at the box office. Um, so there is, I think that Chinese audiences are slowly getting wiser. And I think that the filmmakers really have to step up their games. Um, I, I, there are still quite a few, there, every year there are a few quite excellent films coming out of China. They happen to not be the ones that make the most money. And that's, I think, something that Chinese filmmakers need to reflect on. How do you make a good film that also make money? Um, yeah, that's something really they need to sort of reflect on. Yeah. You know, one thing I have noticed, interestingly enough, over here is the uh, inclusion in some spaces of the Chinese production groups like Hua Yi. Uh, Hawaii Brothers, uh, they've got a film coming out in December, I think, the, called The Space Between Us. Um, it's like a young adult science fiction thing about a kid who's born oh, yeah, on Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's kind of weird sitting in the theater and seeing these titles, these companies, <clears throat> their, their logos coming up in front of, uh, you know, movies western movies because i'm used to seeing them in front of, you know when watching in, in front of hong kong and china movies um and, yeah you, and the, you know the way why? they sort because, of crept into the space here yeah you know why because that's because that i think even chinese studios knew that that they're not going to you know be able to feed forever on the chinese box office growth just because like we we're saying earlier like i was saying earlier the budget is ballooning um 
there's less and less there's more and more companies trying to get in and you know we always when we watch chinese movies we always mock the way that there are about ten thousand company credits in front of them yeah that's because all the companies trying to soften the blow by bringing in all these investors and the other smaller investors they just want the glamour they want to be in the the film business but that means that's their smaller pieces of the cake so these big Big Chinese companies, Huayi Brothers, Bona, um, um, I think also Wanda, they're buying their way into Hollywood because co-productions is never going to happen. Let's face it, Hollywood is never going to properly make a co-production that China is going to like. Um, so instead of waiting for, for Hollywood to come and do co-productions, they go to America and buy in their way to these co-production, not co-production deals, but they try to co-invest. Um, there's no politics involved. There's no need for co-production agreements. There's no need to get the government involved. They're just sort of they're just investing in these films and they're making their money off global box office, not just Chinese box office. So even the Chinese companies are trying to diversify. I think that's going to wrap it up for our news for this week. Let us take a short musical break and we'll be back to talk about our first film for this week, Mission Milano. Welcome back. Our East Screen selection for this week is Andy Lau in the Wang Jing helmed Mission Milano. So, Kevin, my two questions for you about this film are A, is it better than Switch? And B, does Andy Lau sing or have a song in it? You want me to answer them now? <laughs> at some point. At some point. I'll answer at some point. I mean, to be honest, I don't remember much of the film anymore, which I think it's a good thing. But considering what's replaced it in my mind, it may not be a good thing. So um, let's get started. I mean, it, it's clearly Wang Jing trying to rip off um, James Bond. Um, or the sort of spy genre. I don't remember the last time Wang Jing made a spy film, but who cares? He's never really made a proper spy film anyway. Um, here's the story. Wealthy entrepreneur Lewis, played by Huan Xiaoming, goes undercover and travels with an Interpol agent, played by Andy Lau, to protect an invention called Seed of God. This invention um, is a sort of miracle plant that will cure... I think world hunger or energy crisis or whatever. Anyway, together they travel to various cities in Macau, Hong Kong, uh, Milan, and Eastern Europe to stop the invention from falling into an international crime syndicate. Um, there's really not much worth remembering. Um, this is essentially the, the big selling point is Huan Xiaoming and Andy Lau on the screen together. This is the first time they shared a screen together, I think it is. I, I could be, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I have to go back and root through their filmography. I, I'm pretty sure it is, and I guess that's kind of the draw. But the thing is, we've seen Andy Lau, you know, do this thing so many times. Like, it's, like you were just making a comparison switch, right? Except that Andy Lau actually is really not a very funny guy. I, I hate to offend. Like, I know we have Andy Lau fans who might listen to this podcast, and we have friends who are Andy Lau fans, and but... who produce this podcast. <clears throat> <laughs> well, that was awkward. Come on, Paul. Paul, Andy is Andy Lau a funny guy? Andy Lau is a very funny guy when he's given good material. Go back and watch things like Don't Fool Me or some of his very early, you know, uh, Wang Jing silly comedies. He can be funny. So I, I thought that Andy Lau always made the better straight guy than, than, than the funny guy. I don't think he was that funny in God of Gamblers. He was a straight man in that one. Come on. He was clearly straight. He's a great straight man. But the thing is, Hua Xiaoming is also not a very funny guy. So the problem is, you have two straight men leading a comedy, and your and your main source of comedy is Wan Cho Nam, which is a big problem if you don't like Wan Cho Nam. And I do not care for Wan Cho Nam. Um, it, it was just, it, just none of the film really worked. The jokes are lame, and it's really amateurish. Um, and, and both of the actors are kind of weak honestly and it's not Andy Lau's best best performance he's 
clearly phoning it in. Quash, I mean, just does not. He just never, never really had the sort of charm or the the charisma to play this kind of role to, to be in this kind of. He has the looks for it, sure, but he never really had that kind of charisma for it. Um, so it was just really sort of terrible. To they never really connected with me. They don't really share any chemistry. Um, how the hell did Wanjing get Fung Bobo back on the film for this? I mean, Fung Bobo, you know, the legendary child actress who became the great, great actress. It's a Hong Kong cinema legend. She hasn't been in a film since, um, I think she was in Wonder Mama last year, but she, yeah. she's just not, she's like half retired, right? How how the hell did Wanjing get her to come out of semi-retirement for this? This crap. I'm telling I mean, you, it's least, like when we talked about Girl in the Big House. I think Wong... Jing has secret photos on everybody because he can get anybody to do a film it seems you know Miriam Young, Francis and Andy Lau, uh, Fung Bobo you know it's like he's got dirt on everybody <laughs> I think he's calling in the cars. <laughs> I, I, I like to think that dirt is a euphemism for money <laughs> I think he's just paying these people lots of money That's I think you know too, Bobo, yeah. I mean Wonder Mama I can understand Clifton Coe as, as much as i his his political view is hated by people of of my generation. Oh, and, um, and Wong and Jing's a, isn't. <laughs> well, that too. Um, the thing is, Clifton Coe is a respected, you know, um, 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 writer director in Fumbo Bo's generation, so I can understand. But Wong Jing, what the hell? Fumbo Bo just had to come in and play the uh, de- mother of dementia, so she's embarrassed. Embarrassing to watch Fumbo Bo go through something like this. I mean, just like. She should be playing like Meryl Streep roles, all right? Like she should be streeping it up. So what the hell is she doing in this? Um, have we seen Meryl Streep in a in a Fairly Brothers movie? Come on, never gonna happen, all right? Never gonna happen. So it was just weird. Um, and someone should tell watching that more isn't more when more is lame. It was just lots and lots of lame. Um, the whole thing just isn't funny. The plot, Seed of God. That's what the hell Seed of God is. I totally just improvised Seed of God. I don't even know what Seed of God does anymore. Um, and none of the none of the the synopsis you find online will actually tell you what Seed of God does because I don't think even Wan Jing knows what the hell Seed of God is. Seed of God sounds like sounds like a porn name. All right, sounds like <laughs> it sounds, it sounds like, like it sounds like the new Viagra. <laughs> it sounds like science fiction porn. All right, that's what Seed of God is, um, and actually, I think Wong Jing is developing that as well. So better not, I better not break that. You know, that secret. Mm. Um, it is just completely, un- completely forgettable. Um, Huang Shang and Dao, no good. Feng Bobo, no good. And stop trying to make Michelle Hu a thing. Jing girl will never be a thing. Jing girls have ne- hasn't been the things in Check Me Out. <laughs> All right. Jing girls will never be a thing. Stop trying to make Jing girls happen. All right? Jing girls, stop signing up to be watching movies. Look at what happened to Manyao. Yeah, but see, they're all, Michelle, they, they all have hope that they can one day be a Maggie Chung, right? Just just go to, or they even want to be a Chick Meow, which is not going to happen. Go get a proper education at Beijing, Beijing Academy of Art. Go take the, the Feng Bing Bing, the Zhang Ziyi way of becoming a star in China. Do not go to the route of Jing Girls, I promise you. There is no good, nothing good could come out of this, all right? Um, Wang Chulam can sometimes be funny or annoying. Like I said earlier, he's just annoying here. Um, he has a couple of sort of he owns a couple of big sort of gags or big set pieces, comic set pieces. I don't remember any of them. Um, and and yeah, um, there's a surprise cameo at the end. That that one was a genuine surprise. No one's ruined that. No one had ruined that for me yet at the time, and I shouldn't ruin it for you now. Um, even if I say sort of the the what which actor that cameo is most associated with that would be a major spoiler so i can't even name that okay um launching is seriously i think he writes i've been told this smart guy i'm sure he's a very clever guy but he writes scripts like he's a 15 year old amateur director i'm not kidding like he just randomly thinks of juvenile gags you know you know when you play play act when you when you were a kid i did this with my brother all the time when i was a, like a like a nine-year-old right we would play spy movies 
and then we'll come up with these ridiculous gadgets that actually don't have any real use, but it just sounds really impressive when I say it as a kid. Like, I have a little, this spray gun is made of the ray of the sun, and it will burn anything that it touches with into a big yellow flame, and the big yellow flame would spew acid and shoot people in the face. It... That is what Wanjing is still doing at 60 years old. <laughs> he is writing gadgets like that. Like the way that 9, 10-year-old thinks gadgets are cool. He writes this really incredibly impossible and totally impractical gadgets. But sound really cool when a character pulls it out and introduces it. That's how that he writes with that kind of mindset. And I don't understand how that still passes muster of any kind of audience. Um, so, yeah... It, I'm sorry. I know. I know there are fans of watching films out there, and people who defend him to the end of the earth. Um, I just don't see the point anymore. I I know that there's someone who who always a, a friend who always says that uh, watching never aims high. So so is you know it's okay. But the thing is, if you I and I'll say this with every watching film, if you're not aiming high and you still miss, what is the point really? Is already you already set yourself a handicap by not aiming high, so you still can't make the go. How incompetent do you have to be, right? So that is Mission Milano. All right, I think I figured out who the cameo is. Right, it's got to be Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss. <laughs> I, I was actually worried you actually figured it out. <laughs> so you mean she's not in this? Oh, I'm nope, devastated. Sorry. Oh, I thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be this whole scene where Andy Lau, like, swoops in and rescues her. And No, okay. Well, uh, I will have to see this at some point because it does have uh, Andy Lau. And I will be a defender of Andy Lau comedy, but I will say this. Andy Lau comedy works best when he is making fun of himself, you know? So, of course, you know, classic films like, um, you know, his the stuff he did with Sammy and, you know, when he did uh, Love on a Diet, that kind of stuff. I think that's when he's really funny. Um, and again, with his earlier work, before he sort of got really super famous, um, I think some of his earlier stuff, he's pretty funny. But he does have a kind of comedy that works, and I will grant that um, if you give him the wrong kind of comedy, then it doesn't work very well. Um, although I do tend to like Wang Cholam, so I, you know, I, I'll have to see if you know, he's appealing in this film for me or not. I'm sorry, I just have no patience for this kind of stuff anymore. It's just <laughs> like I said, I, I've seen Wang Jing miss aim low and miss enough times that that you know once or twice, you know, f- f- you know, it's it's fine. You know, no no one can be, no one's perfect, no one's 100 percent shot right. But you know, his batting average is probably worse than me if I try to play an MLB. That's how bad it is. Welcome back again. So, our film this week for West Screen is, of course, kicking off the holiday season. That is Marvel's second film for this year. You know, they're kind of set to do two films a year. Um, Earlier in the year, we had Captain America Civil War, and now we have Doctor Strange, which is sort of launching a new branch of the Marvel Universe, one that deals more with the mystical side of things um, and sort of parallels things going on in the more scientific realm of things like Iron Man and Captain America. Um, and so the story here is pretty basic. It's, you know, you have um, uh, your main character, Dr. Stephen Strange, who after a crippling accident impairs his top-notch surgical skills. He seeks out the help of a secret group of mystics led by the enigmatic Ancient One. But instead of finding healing, he instead finds that life is more than science, and he gets drawn into a mystical plot to protect the world from those who seek to reshape it. So uh, the the early buzz was pretty high for this, um, about how great it was. They, Kevin and them got it uh, like a week before we got it here in Hong Kong, I think, or maybe two weeks. Uh, they got it two weeks ahead in Hong Kong before we got it here in the States, and early buzz, as I was kind of following it without spoiling it, was that it's, you know, best Marvel movie to date. These kinds of things currently has a ranking of around 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That puts it just above Captain America, the Winter Soldier, 
at 89%. It tied with Civil War, which is also at 90%. And just below Iron Man, which is around 94%. Um, and this left me asking myself, did I see the same movie? Or did I see some kind of cosmic variant? Because, I, you know, look, it's a fine Marvel film. It's, it's got all the makings of a quality Marvel film. But I didn't see much more than that. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is doing fine in the role, but I, as many people have said elsewhere, you've probably heard this if you've followed any reviews of the film at all, he's basically doing a House impression, right, for Dr. House, um, which is great, you know, because it's a great character and a great performance, but he's kind of a jerk too and not in the cool Tony Stark way of being a jerk. He's just kind of a jerky jerk and he's not a very likable character through much of the film. At least I didn't find myself identifying or, or liking him all that much. Um, and this is a film here too, that takes place primarily in Asia. And you would think that the casting would reflect this. And I know we've gotten into this before, especially with the Tilda Swinton casting. Um, who she's cast as this ancient being known as the Ancient One, and they change her from the comics, where I think she was Asian and male um, in one iteration, but now she's female and she's like Celtic. And, you know, it's like, ah, really? I mean, so you've got this setting in Asia, and you've got one character, basically, uh, the character of Wong, played by Benedict Wong, the actor who's um, he's doing the Marco Polo series on Netflix. Um, he's had uh, supporting roles in a bunch of other stuff. And he gets the least dialogue of the film. He's actually a pretty cool character here um, as the, the sort of um, sanctum librarian. But he's not in the film as much as I wanted to see. I wanted to see a lot more of him. Um, thankfully, you do have uh, a bit more diversity with Chiwetel Ejiofor's Mordo. Um, so there's an attempt to kind of diversify that character who in the comics is traditionally kind of the stereotypical uh, kind of old sinistry villain right um, typically he's portrayed as a as just a white kind of villain um, so they do diversify a little bit but beyond that pretty much everybody else um, from the villain in this film his henchman um, the love interest you know uh, it's just disappointing that you have uh, a title like this that's taking place in a setting which would speak to a lot more diversity than they actually give us. So Tilda Swinton's role aside, there was a lot more opportunity for diversity that could have been present here and, and wasn't. And I so whether you like the Tilda Swinton character or not, or you like her as an actress or not, um, just missed opportunities all around from from my perspective uh even the hong kong sequence so there's a hong kong sequence that's kind of set in hong kong but it's not really hong kong it's like a uh, kind of fake studio set hong kong even my wife laughed at that um, because it just gets things wrong in places you won't really notice that unless you're somebody who's from hong kong or live in hong kong or spent time there um but still it's kind of a you know a laughable attempt given that you have so much information in this day and age and still things aren't necessarily quite right. But the story itself was what I think I was really kind of disappointed in and that's because I didn't see it as anything outstanding. It was very typical, right? You've got all the standard origin story beats, especially for an origin story that takes place in a martial arts film or kind of a mystical Asian style film, the old master, the former student gone bad, a stubborn but talented good student who has to, you know, relearn his thinking or something, you know, stuff like this. Just a lot of very typical plot devices that have been done to death in perhaps wider, a wider range of films um, in terms of global cinema, but certainly even according to Marvel cinema rules, as an origin story, I thought we really have seen a lot of this same stuff before in Iron Man, right? And and, and perhaps done uh, a bit better. 
So it made me question, were folks just being taken in by the Inception style special effects, which looked great? You know, the magic was kind of interesting, but I thought for me, magic would be doing a lot more than just, you know, creating magic shields and bending the world in on itself into sort of an MC Escher painting. I they thought they got a little bit creative with time, but even that gets kind of overdone. It basically is if you've done editing, it's or you know, you've played with a video player on a computer, it's basically like doing an editing scrub. Um and so I was like, okay, th that's all they're really going to give us when you're dealing with something like magic that can really go much farther than I think they they took it creatively. Um, and I know I sound like I'm being really down on it. As I said, I, I enjoyed it. It was an enjoyable film. I just don't know if it's living up to a lot of the hype that I was reading about, that people have been talking about, that was being level leveled at the film. Um, there's a mid-credit scene and an end credit, so if you haven't seen it and you're going to see it, you want to stay uh, to the very end. I'd argue that they played them in the wrong order, though, because I think that the mid-credit scene was a better scene and that one that should have been saved for the very end, whereas the very end credit scene, um, not as interesting. Um, it's there for um, hardcore fans of the comic um, more than anything else, but I think that by, you know... Putting the mid credit scene at the end, you're really putting a good, a nice exclamation point there. So, um, again, that's just how I saw it. You know, it's a it's a good film in the Marvel universe, but I think it lacks originality and diversity, and had potential to be a lot more uh, than than what it is. Kevin, you saw this even before I did. So, what was your take <laughs> on Doctor Strange? No, I I agree that I don't quite see the big deal around it i think there are some really cool sequences visually um i think that a lot of those people are western centric viewers who think that anything sort of exotically eastern oriental is is gonna be sort of um a lot of people are calling it sort of the stoner film right marvel stoner film i, I don't know how that's supposed to feel uh and, and the thing is, to them, they see anything that's sort of Eastern, anything Oriental, they think it's exotic and they think it's really inventive. But to us, maybe to us in the East or who, us who lived in the East, we're like, please, that's what you guys see as like Eastern. This is like, this is almost like, yeah, the whole exotic, the Tibetan angle. Well, it's not Tibetan anymore. Thanks, China. Um, the Nepalian angle to the, the whole thing. Um, just didn't feel all that fresh to me, all that, you know, sort of mystical mumbo-jumbo that they throw in there. Um, um, and the story's a bit sloppy. I was not really that thrilled by it. Um, vis I was more interested visually in it than the actual story. Um, I don't know how they're going to work in Doctor Strange into the rest of the Marvel Universe because I don't think... I don't exactly look for well-defined powers in my superhero. It's not really a necessary thing. But um, I think he's, you know, Cumberbatch is going to have more interesting things to do under um, if he did not have his own film, essentially. If um, the, I would like to see him in future Marvel Universe films, try to, you know, talk to, you know, communicate with our characters and see how his powers play in the rest of the marvel universe but as his own film i didn't think it was that thrilling it was fine marvel movies are you know the thing is people always knock on the marvel movies and and how you know how they're like not original and how we're just bombarded by superhero movies but you know people fall god go gaga gaga for the marvel movies every time because they're actually good so what the hell do these people want i mean we could be getting dc movies every six months <laughs> When people would not want that yeah. is that we're getting pretty solid Marvel movies every couple of months and they are hitting it out of the park. So stop complaining, people. So, um, um, yeah, it's, it's cool that Marvel is sort of setting their or branching out into weirder superheroes or more more unconventional ones. But like I said, I'm sort of holding my reservation about Doctor Strange until I see him in the actual Marvel Universe and, and, and you know, actually interacting with the other characters. Yeah. For those who don't read comics, um, you know, he is considered one of the more powerful 
comic book characters, right, in, in terms of power levels. And he's much more on the cosmic scale with regard to people like, you know, Thanos and the Silver Surfer and Galactus and others who, you know, are really, you know, it's it's like, a you know, a Superman-Batman kind of differential between um, some some of the characters that we see in Avengers versus, you know, some of these characters who are way out there. So, yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see how they how they work him in they're going to work be you know he is going to appear in the avengers films that's why they're setting this up and i've read that benedict wong's character of wong is also going to be in the avengers film though i don't think he's going to have a a huge role but i will look forward to seeing you know more of him and hopefully they'll give him uh, some more dialogue um rather than just making him sort of a walk-on cameo i sound like i'm very very down on the film i'm just down on the hype of the film that that it's gotten more so than the film itself it's fine it's got that level of quality that you expect from a marvel film it's got humor in it you know it's got a a, a solid balance of the things you've come to expect i just I, I again think the originality and the diversity were disappointments just for me You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. That's going to wrap it up for our show this week. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com at concast. You can email us, eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can follow us over on Facebook at eastswests. I urge you, too, to follow Mr. Ma in all his exploits, whether he's in Hong Kong or he's hopping the globe over to watch movies in Taiwan and other places. So, sir, where can they keep up with what you're doing? Um, you can read my writing every month on Discovery Magazine uh, and on Circle Magazine for Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragon Airways. Um, if you don't... Uh, have the chance to fly on those airlines you can um find the ipad app for discovery magazine um that is on the ipad store ipad app store uh november i uh, we got a piece on shin godzilla i write a little piece on you know this is the thing I, it's really weird I, I i you know i write i live these magazines every day but i can't remember for life of me what i write about <laughs> um but it's when the magazine actually comes out I know my head's right in December issue already, so I can't remember what's in November issue. We have a great article on Godzilla. We have an article about New Zealand cinema, and I cannot remember my own article. It's really weird. Um, World Film Club's my article. I also have two TV reviews there. So, um, and a lot of great other travel articles by my colleagues at Cedar Hong Kong. So go check out Discovery iPad app. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. The Hong Kong Asian Film Festival has ended. Oh, I have two more Roman porno films, but uh, I'll be more active again next weekend when I go to the Golden Horse Festival over in Taipei um, and you know catch up on films. Otherwise, I've been trying to work a lot, uh, trans- translating things, so it's been a bit quiet. Um, or you can email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com um, in case this podcast or this episode goes up a bit later hopefully it will be for november 26 come on to the lovehkfilm.com the golden rock blog you will see my live blogging of the golden horse awards i am back sorry i missed this year's um hong kong hong kong film awards but i am back and i'm ready to do the golden horse thing this year uh so join me on the golden rock blog at lovehkfilm.com excellent our next show, episode 209. Wow, have we done that many? Um, what we'll be talking about on the East Screen side of things. Do you have a movie coming up for us, Kevin? Actually, actually talk about um, Somei, which is the, the solo directorial debut of Derek Zung, Derek Zung's son. Um, or I could 
I'll look and we'll let you know. I mean, there are a bunch of Hong Kong films to talk about anyway. All right. We also have on the horizon um, the latest J.K. Rowling property, Fantastic Cash Cows and How to Milk Them. Right? Uh, so <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying never make a deal with Dormammu, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh-huh.